0: Well, we're in a series called Psalms, Truths for Life, and Pastor Greg is away today, uh, but asked if I would join in this series and, uh, and continue uh, kind of unpacking the Psalms for us today. I look forward to doing that out of Psalm 51. So will you stand with me and let's read the Word of God together to prepare our hearts to hear from the Holy Spirit today. And uh, I am, uh, I'm of the age now, I don't know how Pastor Greg does it, that he can read it off the back wall. And so uh, I'm going to read it right off my iPad here. And you guys can read it wherever you want. Here we go. Psalm 51. We're going to read verses 4 through 12. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit and sustain me. Now, Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, allow your word to be written onto the tablets of our heart. Teach us what is true. Lead us in a way that shows us the error of our sin and convicts us of our wrong, so that we may come to you and find healing and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Well, a lot of folks around here call me Pastor Ben, and if you've, me, uh, if you've heard me preach here before, I've mentioned how much I enjoy trying to pretend to be part of the pastoral staff here, uh, <laughs> though I'm not. And uh, so my, my <coughs> ministry has me all around Maryland, Virginia, D.C., and half of West Virginia, uh, throughout 360 churches and overseeing 1,100 ministers in a ministry called Secretary Treasurer, which is terribly exciting. What do you do for Jesus? I'm a pastor. Wow. What do you do for Jesus? I'm an evangelist. Wow. What do you do for Jesus? I'm a missionary. Wow. What do you do for Jesus? I'm a Secretary Treasurer. Huh? That's what, that's what I get. Well, what allows me to do that is a a family, like I've got a supportive family, and uh, I just want to draw your attention and show you them for just a moment. I want to ask you to be praying for Miss Corey, my wife, who is already in West Virginia. She is uh, leading a kids camp ministry uh, this week in Falling Waters, West Virginia. So as you think of Corey, would you pray for her? Uh, My my daughters are in the picture there with my son. And uh, I do, I, I mean, I do talk a lot about pretending to be on the staff here. And here, here's what I know. Throughout the year, we get to, as, as a church family, we get to honor uh, our pastoral staff. And, and we're blessed with a great pastoral staff, uh, which is why it's kind of cool that the staff gets to do the, the series here in the summer. In fact, uh, Pastor uh, Austin is going to be up here a couple weeks from now, right? Uh, preaching much better than me. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Pastor Danielle, uh, two weeks ago, and Pastor Greg in here with us. And it's exciting to do that. Um, I know throughout the year we get to give gifts like pastor appreciation and that kind of thing to show honor to our pastors. And in some ways, I feel like I, uh, I benefit from the faithfulness of this pastoral team. Uh, and, and I wanted to take a moment publicly to, to thank you. Uh, my, you see the photo of my daughters uh, here. Uh, they recently were on a missions trip to Guatemala and, uh, and some of you, uh, who have friended me on Facebook or whatever saw that that missions trip was coming up and, uh, and you were so generous in the way that you gave, you contacted me. I didn't ask you, you, you just reached out to say, Hey, can we contribute to help with the cost of the trip? Thank you uh, for that. I feel blessed, uh, even though I'm not really a pastor in this church. All right. And as I was thinking about this picture, I was with my family recently at my in-law's house. And we were sitting at the table and my father-in-law came out with this story about the day that I asked him when he was going to let his daughter start dating. Um, now, I guess I look back at that, that was a pretty forward conversation, I guess. Uh, I was 16, she was 14, almost 15, <laughs> it's probably important, uh, and uh, he was a general contractor, it was... It was 115 degrees outside in Maryland, and I was working hard to try to show him like I was a good guy, like he should let his daughter go out with me. And so one day after work, I asked him like, how old do you think your daughter will be before you let her start dating? What was funny to me is he didn't remember that story at all like I remembered it. The way he told it the other day, I was like, that's not how that went. (laughs) How many of you know that there's like the story behind the story sometimes? And uh, in my life, it's true, I've told it publicly, my, my father-in-law is one of my, one of my best friends in life now, uh, but he was also the guy who said no when I asked if I could marry his daughter, uh, which was an interesting conversation. After an hour and a half, I, I p- believed I had prevailed, and that turned out not to be true, because then a month later when we actually got engaged, there was the whole thing where he said he wasn't going to come to the wedding and all of that kind of stuff, so... But he is one—I know, right? Ouch! <laughs> but he is one of my best friends uh, in my life, and uh, I'm thankful for my family. Uh, I just—I uh, just remember that sometimes there's a story behind the story. Today, we're going to be looking at the story behind the story of one of the Psalms, and uh, I'm thankful to pick up in, in part of this. A couple weeks ago, we kicked this series off. Pastor Danielle preached out of Psalm 23. And I remember her saying, where there was guilt, now only goodness. Where there were mistakes, now only mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Amen? She unpacked that for us. You may remember she had her, uh, her rod and her staff. And I think she wanted to use that rod on some of us. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Greg uh, showed us this last week to help us see kind of how the book of Psalms is designed, it's it's written in five different books, if we could show that slide. And I thought this was just a very interesting way to look at the way that the books of Psalms uh, line up with the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and and kind of follow the same themes in that uh, the first book of the book of Psalms uh deals with humans and creation. The second book, which is actually a, a part that I'm going to be drawing from today, is about rescue and salvation. And then there's the part of Le, Le, that mirrors Leviticus in the way that we worship and honor God in the sanctuary. And then we have Numbers, which is the desert wandering and, and finding God's ways. And then the last part is, is cel- celebration of God's word and praise. And last week, Pastor Greg unpacked uh, Psalm 34 for us. He, he showed us David singing in the cave. Remember that? Uh, he was singing to a bunch of people who had been drawn to him while they were on the run from King Saul. Uh, things had gone bad for, uh, for David. At one time, he had worked directly for the king, he, he played his harp, he helped to settle the nerves of the king. Uh, He had worked for the king as an armor bearer, scripture tells us. And so he would help the king get his armor on. And uh, it was uh, David who interacted with King Saul when Goliath was challenging the people and went out to fight for Israel. But since that time, David's renown began to grow in the kingdom and Saul became very suspicious. He became very suspicious paranoid about the way that the favor of God was blessing David's life, and people were esteeming David more than Saul, and so David went on the run. Remember, David acted crazy. We talked about him drooling and slobbering. Before that, he had gone into a priest, and he didn't have any weapons. Remember, the priest had Goliath's sword, and so uh, he he lied. Very interesting to, to study the lies of the Bible. Uh, he lies to the priest and says, King Saul sent me on a mission, but I, I forgot my weapons. So can I have that one? And the priest says, sure. So he gives him Goliath's sword, which must have been terribly inconvenient to conceal. And then, and then he says, I see the sacred bread on the altar, and I'm hungry. So can I eat that? And can I take it to my men? Which he did not have. At that time, actually. Uh, they're really hungry, too. And the priest says, well, they would have to be consecrated. Oh, we are. We are consecrated. And he took the bread. And I always wonder in Psalm 34, that was written in the cave after that, uh, after that happened, if, if David thought about that bread when he wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. You know, not every psalm has a story behind it that is clear in Scripture. But I always find it interesting to look at the stories behind the psalms when they're available. The psalm we're looking at this week is Psalm 51. It's one of the seven penitential psalms, meaning that somebody is expressing their regret over sin, their remorse for having done wrong, and humbling themselves before God to say, I need your help. I can't do my life this way because sin has overcome me. The psalmist is, expresses a somber reflection on the condition of his heart and his need for a savior. I um, I was working years ago in a college, and uh, when I was in college, I worked at this hotel. It was called the Desmond Hotel, uh, as a private private hotel there in in Malvern, Pennsylvania, and um, I got a phone call one day. I got a, a I got a message on the answering machine. I just want to clarify, it was not a voicemail. It was a message on the answering machine. (laughs) Does anybody remember messages on the answering machine? All right. And uh, it was from Heidi. Heidi worked at the front desk with me. I was a bellman. I mean, this was back in the day where we had large wooden doors with big brass handles I wore white gloves, and I would open the door for folks. I would carry their bags, and they'd give me money. It was awesome. (laughs) But uh, Heidi worked at the front desk, and I'd come home on a break. I listened to the the, the message on the answering machine, and through tears, she expressed that her mother was in the hospital and dying. I, I still don't know how she ever found my mother's phone number to call me in Maryland. But she knew that I studied the Bible and, and she wanted she wanted to comfort her mother. And so she decided she would read from the Psalms, right? Because Psalms are terribly comfortable. Right? And and she's telling me on this voicemail, well, this message on the answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> she said, the problem is I keep reading all these psalms, but they're not very encouraging. And I just don't know where in this book I'm supposed to find the psalms that will help my mom. So can you help me find out? You see, the book of Psalms is wide-ranging. We talked about the different ways that it's structured in books. Walter Brueggemann uh, is an Old Testament scholar, theologian. He, uh, he kind of identified uh, a language of helping to understand the psalms that goes like this. I, this illustration was, uh, I first saw this from a, an Old Testament professor who related it. Psalms. Uh, some of the psalms are like th- are like this chair. I can I can sit in this chair. I can look right at you. I can talk right to you. It's 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 oriented in a way that I can communicate this way. Some of the psalms are psalms of orientation. They're oriented towards God and who He is and what He's about. And when you read them, you, it communicates like, yep, that's, that's God. I mean, that's a clear vision of God, psalms of, of orientation. Well, then there are also other kinds of psalms. And as you read them, you'll see they kind of stand differently. Uh, different from that are, are psalms that, that are psalms of reorientation. And they, they say, uh, I've come through something, but now... I have a new perspective. Now I have a new vision, a new direction, a new orientation, right? Nothing wrong with Psalms of orientation. It's just sometimes in life it's, it's that way and sometimes it's this way. We're reoriented. I've come through something and now I've got a new direction and a new vision. And then there's a, a third type of Psalm. We have orientation, we have reorientation. We have disorientation, right? It's like, I don't know which way is up. A lot of the Psalms are written this way. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why my enemies are rising up against me. Have you ever wondered how many enemies did did he actually have? I mean, you got psalmists always talking about all of the enemies. Like, are there really all that many, or is it just really that kind of one person that really bothers you? you know? But some of you pray that way, too. God, relieve me of all my enemies. Anim- that's just the one person at work. But you know what I mean. <laughs> so much of our life is lived here. And that's why I'm thankful that the scripture, the scripture is not just, you know, a bunch of daisies, you know, like everything is great, everything is awesome, and it, it just doesn't always point us to like, you should get a new vision and a new direction and a new orientation. It finds us right here in disorientation, and Psalm 51 is an expression of somebody disoriented and trying to find their way back to God. One of my aims today is to give you a place in Scripture that will help you express the cry of your heart when you, realized, when you realize that you have sinned against God and need healing, forgiveness, and restoration. Psalm 51 gives us language for that kind of prayer. If, I, if I'm sharing... Very candidly with you, I, I would tell you that this passage has shown up in my life on a handful of occasions where I was confronted with the consequence of my own sin. That I had I had fallen short of what God calls righteous, and that the word is, the word of God is true. We sow, we reap what we sow. And since I had sown to the flesh, I was was now reaping things i didn't i didn't want in my life i was disoriented i was trying to find a way is it possible to be forgiven is it possible to communicate to god how broken i feel and how much i need him and when i was in that place i turned to the book of psalm chapter 51 and i read this passage as my prayer to god we read a portion of it. We're going to come back to that in a moment. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 51. We're going to come there. I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time, though, in the story behind the psalm. Would that be all right? I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> the, the story behind the psalm. I'm going to go to the end of the book of 2 Samuel, verse, uh, chapter 23. And there's a passage there from verse 8 through 39. And uh, in the very beginning of that chapter, we have the last words of King David, right? Those are his last words. And then right after that, here in this second part of this chapter, we have kind of an obituary of David's friends, like who were his his people, right? Like uh, Psalm 34, we talked about last week, singing in the cave. Who were those people? Some of them were his greatest warriors, and we have them listed there. Uh, Starting in verse 8, it says, these are the names of David's mighty warriors. And down in verse 39, it says, and Uriah the Hittite. If you look at that passage, it's the last name on the list. And Uriah the Hittite. And I, I have to ask the question, couldn't they have just left that one off? Like, is this... I mean, this is the last will and testament, right, of David. He has come to the end. He's given his last words, and he's like, hey, hey, make sure that you list the names of my mighty warriors. I mean, these guys put their lives on the line for me. Make sure you list them. And I'm wondering if the scribe was like, like all of them? <laughs> yeah, list all of them. Like even number 37? You sure you don't want to just round it off at 36? No, leave, leave, the, leave him on there. You have to remember my mighty men, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, look back in chapter 11. Some of you are familiar with this story, but maybe others are not. Second Samuel chapter 11. Now listen. As I go through, I've condensed these chapters, all right, because I think you guys want to get out of here before Wednesday. Um, So I've condensed these chapters down. You're going to see ellipsis, right? That's the dot, dot, dot. You're going to see that. That means I've condensed it. Sometimes people get a little uh, concerned that I'm like trying to hide things that are in the scripture or whatever. That's not the case. All of the verses are listed here. I encourage you to read all of them. I've just tried to condense for time. 2 Samuel 11, starting verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, uh, but David remained in Jerusalem. Can I just say I'm really glad we don't set our calendars this way anymore? Like, Punxsutawney Phil shows up, and suddenly somebody's like, hey, it's almost time to go to war. I don't know exactly, you know, I'm sure because of weather and that kind of thing. I'm sure it was a lot of defensive, you know, nature of the kingdom. Like you go and check the borders, see who's trying to encroach in your land and push them back. It's the springtime when kings go out to war. Who is the king? David. Yeah. David's the king. Is David where he's supposed to be? No. Kings are supposed to go to war. But instead, he has remained in Jerusalem, so he's not where he's supposed to be. Verse 2, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And verse 3 says, and David sent someone to find out about her. She is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We don't want to confuse Uriahs, all right? Remember, it's Uriah the Hittite. I mean, David is not where he's supposed to be. He's out walking around his roof, and now he sees... Have you ever... I mean, I'm asking the same questions you are. Is it it irony that her name is Bathsheba? (laughs) Is that like a little tip of the cap from God to the future English language? One, One day, one day there's going to be a people who speak English. And they're gonna they're gonna take baths, so that, we're gonna call her Bathsheba just so they'll be like, "Oh, God loves people who speak English." <laughs> he's he's not where he's supposed to be. He's out walking around his roof, and he sees this woman bathing, and then he's got questions. who who, who is that? Who's that woman? They, he inquires. They're like, well, that's, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Now, I, have you ever thought about what does it take? What, 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 what is happening that this whole thing happens? I mean, he's got a great vantage point because he's the king. But how is it that he gets to see Bathsheba bathing at Uriah the Hittite's house. You ever thought about that? Do you think that the real estate around the palace was just up for grabs? No, the king would have identified mean, domain. The king would have identified like, I get to pick who lives close to the palace. I want people who are ready to defend this place at the drop of a hat. They're not going to have to get across town. Now we're reserving this block and that block and that block around the palace so that my 37 mighty men are going to live right here so that we are ready to defend this place, right? The only reason that she gets spied on while she's bathing is because her husband is putting his life on the line in loyalty to David. That's treachery, man, like, and now he's, listen, I just want to say this. We cannot read, we cannot read ourselves into everything in the Bible. You know that? Like, we're not all kings. We don't all get get to be King David. Only me. I'm just just kidding. We we don't, that's not how that was. But can I just take a moment to, to address, and this is not something specifically here, but I just, wanted, I just want to draw our attention to this. David, David did not see her. David looked upon her. There's a difference between what we see and what we look at. You know, in the news now and, and whatever, all, all of the laws that we have are our attempt to codify what a moral society should be, right? And now attempts to, to kind of um, limit access to pornography online to protect the innocent and children. And any of you who have been on social media, you know that from the, from the day you tell them what gender you are, the search button begins to feed you things, not so that you will see it, but so that you will look at it. And we are like David in that we have choices about what we look at. Sometimes uh, on that roof, I think David probably found himself having difficulty looking away. That's a a terribly embarrassing thing. I I mean, listen, he had it written in the book. Make sure you write down that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And instead, I decided to look on her. Now, friends, listen. I'm going to cut to the chase. We're going to read a lot of things today about David's life that you and I would want left out of our story. And this is the hope of our salvation. That we can come to a place of healing and forgiveness so much so that the shame of our past is overwhelmed by the hope that we have of salvation through Jesus Christ. And whether you have found yourself looking at things you shouldn't, whether you find yourself doing things you shouldn't, you are in a place where today you'll find those stories of our lives are redeemed as well. Well, let's look here. 2 Samuel 11, i I'm going to jump to verse 4. She came to him, that's Bathsheba, and and he slept with her. And verse 5 says, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. And so David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. I think there's probably a little more going on there than just washing his feet, or at least David's hoping so. See, David is hoping that he's setting Uriah up to think that he has fathered a child. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace and did not go down to his house. Can I just mention God didn't cover this up? And David didn't either. Imagine the freedom and healing that goes on in someone's life to actually share these things. Verse 12. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and the next, David said, well, he didn't go home that night, so I'm going to keep him here a little longer. And, uh, and verse 13 says, David made him drunk that night, and then said, why don't you go home? And he's, he did not go home. In fact, he, he kind of makes this statement like none of the other soldiers get to get to be with their wives, why would I I dishonor them by going to be with my wife? So the plan is not working. So verse 14, man. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with who? Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and The plan didn't work to fool him into thinking that he was the father and covering up all that had happened. So now the only option is to go ahead and send him into battle. Send the man into battle who has put his life on the line in loyalty to you and to the nation time and time again. And now David says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to write instructions to the general on a letter. I'm going to seal it and I'm going to hand it to the guy and say, Hey, thanks so much. Your country appreciates your sacrifice. And have him carry his death warrant out to the field of battle, where ultimately he dies. Word comes to the king, word comes to Uriah's wife. Verse 26 When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Then in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan was a prophet of God, a man close to God, and the Spirit of God was speaking to Nathan, and we have this really fascinating interaction. I I think it's fascinating, but I'm a Bible nerd. When he comes, he says there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, I'm not a pets person. Can I just say that? I don't get like this idea, like they can sleep with you, they can drink from your cup. I draw, I draw lines there. <laughs> I tell my children, make friends with people with pets. If you want a pet, go play with their pet. They'll feed them. They'll pay astronomical veterinary bills to keep them around a little longer. I, not, not my thing. But I know people are. I, like, I, I know. We're going to have an altar call for you in just a little while. <laughs> I mean, but listen, this guy, he was poor. He was poor. He only had one little ewe lamb. That's all he had. It was like a daughter to him. And then verse 4. Bum, bum, bum. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. In verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing And had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You're the man! No. No. That's not how we should read that. Nathan says, You're you're the man I'm talking about. You know Nathan was not on the rooftop. Did you know that? Nathan wasn't on the rooftop with David. David. Nathan wasn't the one who got sent to check on and inquire about her. Nathan wasn't there when she was brought into the palace. Nathan was off doing his thing. But the Spirit of God spoke to Nathan and revealed everything that had happened. Did you know that the Spirit of God is a revealer? Sometimes the revelation that comes is revelation that makes us uncomfortable. It hurts I think David probably right now is saying, "How did you even know about that? I'm so ashamed!" Like, right? All of the all of the, the pressure that he's feeling, all of that. It is the mercy of God that this is revealed. Do you recognize that? It is the mercy of God that he is now found out to be an adulterer, a murderer. It is the mercy of God, and how does God do it? I find it interesting. Remember, Pastor Danielle with that uh, the shepherd's staff, right? Well, what, what is the story that Nathan brings? It's a story about what? A little sheep. Now listen, in David's line of work as a king, people brought stories like this to him all the time and said, somebody did something that was wrong and you need to make a decision about how they're going to be sentenced or, or what restitution needs to be made, right? So David isn't even, he's like biting this hook, line, and sinker. Like, I... I know how to judge this one. This guy should die. And Nathan says, You're the man that I'm talking about. And from there, we have the, the scripture kind of unpacks a, a number of things that happened to him. In fact, the, the child that Bathsheba had conceived died. After, after about a week of, of struggling to try to, to survive, the child ultimately died. And David, David knew that, that God's uh, displeasure with him was unfolding in this way, promised by Nathan. And I think that as he, as he mourned and as he grieved and he prayed and he asked for mercy, I think he came to a place where he recognized My life is like this. and maybe, maybe there are people outside the palace who think my life is like this or they think my life is like this, but, but I know the reality is my life is like this. And when I'm disoriented, I have to go back to my God. And there in the heartbreak of of the confrontation, adulterer, murderer, death of a child, he calls out to God in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out, my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, not every sermon has to be about sin, right? There's a lot of things in the scripture, a lot of things we learn about. But when we look at the scripture, what we find out is that God put it right in the beginning. He shows us right from the start that people have a problem In that they choose to do things that are unrighteous. Right there in the Garden of Eden, in chapter 3, we have the fall of man. And from that time, all of us are stained by sin. It's what made the Apostle Paul write, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you and I are confronted with our sin. Needing a Savior. Verse 4. Against you, we read this together, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. What is he talking about? This isn't just like, God, you're right when you make your decisions. He's saying, I know my life and my situation, and I know the judgment and consequences of my sin, and you've got me dead to rights. And I deserve this. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Can I draw your attention to this verse before we move on, verse 8? Because this passage has always, it's always kind of grabbed me. Let the bones, what? That you have crushed, rejoice. I think we often have kind of a a picture of God that is either so angry that he is just out to throw lightning bolts at everybody, or so warm and cuddly that he just lets you live however you want. He doesn't want to bother you to live right. Neither of these pictures is accurate of God. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows that sometimes the sheep wander off. And and David is writing here about the bones which he has crushed. He's remembering having done this. Have you thought about that? He remembers that when the sheep were small and they would want to wander off, one of the things that he would do is to take that sheep in his arms and break its leg. Now listen. They broke my collarbone to get me out of my mother's womb. Because I was a large baby. <laughs> my, my shoulders were wider than the passageway. And, and so they, they reached in and they, they, they broke my clavicle. Of course, babies, their bones are not as brittle as ours, whatever. It, I was doing push-ups not long after that, but... <laughs> Take that that small lamb and you break its leg. And now, as the shepherd, you carry it around for a while. And as that leg begins to set and heal, you put that lamb down. And that lamb is walking slow and ginger. But the lamb walks near the shepherd and learns this is where I'm supposed to be. David says, my life is like the bones which you have crushed. Let the bones which you have crushed in my life rejoice. We tend not to like it when our bones get crushed. The bones of our life, We tend to feel it's uncomfortable and painful. And what if his desire is just to help us walk close with him? Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline those verses, verses 10 through 12. If you don't underline your Bible, lean over to somebody next to you and underline it in their Bible. (laughs) I told you at the beginning, one of my aims is to give you language for your prayers. So that when you find yourself like this and needing to know how do I tell God what I need in my life, you might turn to Psalm 51 and pray a prayer that sounds like this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Verse 13, Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners... We'll turn back to you. Look, we just read it in Second Samuel, his deliverance on this promise. If you'll restore me, I will tell others even about the broken parts of my life so that they will learn to turn to you as well. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. My lips Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings, offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar. I mean, this is a prayer of a guy's life who looks like this, totally disoriented, knowing he's done wrong. And there have probably been times in your life where you have recognized yourself like this. In fact, some of you today may feel like you're going through a period of your life right now like this. Some of you joining online today may be be looking and saying, this is what my life is like. And when we're here, we cry out to God. Some of you maybe are remembering times where you walked through, where you were confronted, right smacked in the face with your sin. And yet you were able to turn to God. And so I want us to think about these things as we close. Number one, seeing the sinful self. Against you, you only have I sinned. You're right in your judgment against me. And knowing that our need is for salvation from sin, we turn to God, seeing the sinful self being washed white as snow. Cleanse me with hyssop. The worship team's going to come and as we close. he's actually pointing here to a practice that comes from uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 4 where people who had a defiling skin disease, usually it was interpreted leprosy, that they would come to, to be cleansed. Because you were healed of disease, but you were cleansed of leprosy. It was a spiritual disease. And so the, what they had to do is bring these two birds. And I, I just want to say, I'm so thankful we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Right? That's, that, would, that would be different. Anyway. You brought two birds. You brought a piece of cedar... A scarlet string, some water, and a clay pot, and a rod of hyssop. It's a lot of things to remember. Remember that when you're reading Leviticus, and you're like, this is all so dry and whatever. Come on, there's a lot of stuff here. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take one bird, you're going to sacrifice it, and the blood is going to drop down into the clay pitcher. And then you're going to take the stalk of hyssop, You're going to stir it around, you're going to to throw it at the person who's presenting themselves to show they're clean. Because that, that blood is bringing about cleansing. But what about the other bird? Two birds. One bird is sacrificed. Leviticus says, take the other bird outside of the camp the field and let it go. That's part of the cleansing process. One sacrificed and one set free. See, this is the work of Jesus Christ. The holy sacrifice of God who offered himself so that we could be free. Wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And finally, the promise is not just a recognition of our sin and not just that we can be forgiven, but it's that we can be renewed and restored. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit that sustains me. Will you bow your heads with me? I wonder this morning if there's anyone with our heads bowed. I'm about to pray, but is there anyone this morning who says, Pastor Ben, you know, my life is a lot like that middle chair. It's just kind of disoriented. Right now, I feel like things have been turned over because I know I have done wrong. I've sinned before God. Pastor Ben, I wonder, would you pray for me? If that's you this morning, would you just lift up your hand? Just slip it up. I'll acknowledge that I see it. We can put it back down. Yeah, hands, hands are going up. Other hands. Folks are responding today, yeah. God, I'm praying for my friends right now, Lord, who are so disoriented in their life, confronted with their sin, confronted with what they're reaping. But God, I thank you. I thank you for your hope. A hope that can take even the most disorienting of times, the most shameful, the worst parts of a life like David had, and still record them so that everyone can publicly know, this is what I went through, this is what I did, and yet somehow God forgave me. Would you, who raised your hand right now, would you pray a prayer like we just read? God, create in me a clean heart? Some of you right now, you you need to ask God, cast me not away from your presence. Don't, don't, Don't make me be far away from you. Instead, bring me close. Somebody right now is feeling what it feels like when the bones that he has crushed start to rejoice because you realize that God is reaching out to you right now saying, come close, come close, come close and walk with me. God, I pray that He's responding to you. That they would find your closeness in their life. I wonder, is anyone today, is anyone today saying, "I know my life needs God. I know that I have, I have not found a, a way of doing life that makes me right with God. And so today, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. I want the work of Jesus." in my life to set me free and help me find freedom and wholeness and healing in my soul before God. Pastor Ben, I would like to receive Jesus in my life today. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? I want to pray for you today. You're saying, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Anyone today? Yeah. My hand has gone up. Yes, another hand has gone up. Can we all pray together? Dear Lord, create in me a clean heart. Cast me not from your presence. Renew a right spirit in me. Lord, in Jesus' name, I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your healing. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Listen, that is the first step of walking close with Jesus the shepherd. Today when you leave, by the doors you'll find bags. They say, following Jesus. Follow Jesus. Look, that that is what this church is about. Walking close with Jesus because He is inviting you to walk with Him. I'm going to ask our connection group leaders if they'll come to the altar. We're about to close. Some of you raised your hands because of things that you're dealing with in your life. And you you would benefit from somebody just praying with you. We're going to open the altars in just a minute, and you can come and pray. Or perhaps you have another need in your life. You just need somebody to stand with you in faith and ask God to be at work and intervene. This is a place where you can meet with somebody who would love to lift you up in prayer. Would you stand with me as we close our service today? At the conclusion of, of this blessing, you'll be dismissed for the week, and, and I, I, I do pray that you'll walk out of this place in the power of God and a close sense of His Spirit. But when we're done, you'll be welcome to come and find a place to pray here continue to worship the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. God bless you.